We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. This is episode number 417. Today on the show is Chad Jennings of The Athletic Boston. We're previewing the Boston Red Sox. We talk about the insane last half year in Red Sox land. From Dave Dombrowski firing to their involvement in the cheating scandal to the Alex Cora firing and fallout, the hiring of uh, interim manager... And then the Mookie Betts, David Price trade. It's been craziness in Red Sox land, all leading up to the fact that we just got breaking news on Thursday that Chris Sale will have Tommy John surgery. Chad and I were actually supposed to do this podcast Thursday morning. Had we done so, we would not have had that Chris Sale news. We had to reschedule to Friday morning. So it actually turned out working out well. And if you haven't already done so, go check out our previous episodes talking about other ALEs teams. Number 413, we previewed the Orioles. Number 414 was the Blue Jays. Number 418, which will come out tomorrow, will be the Rays. And then number 415, which was released on Friday, I talked about the history of Major League Baseball shortened seasons. That was a little bit different of a show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I hope you guys have enjoyed all the new shows that Scott and I have been pumping out during this very, very weird time in life. All right, guys, let's get to the episode with Chad.
Happy to bring on to the podcast now Chad Jennings of The Athletic in Boston. He covers the Red Sox, and he's a friend of the show. He's been on the last few years to preview the Red Sox, although this year it's quite different with the baseball shutdown. Chad, how's it going? <laughs> Boy, and that's a question, huh? I, I have no <laughs> idea how to answer that. It's going okay. It's going fine, uh, all things considered. Yeah, and there's obviously bigger issues in the world than when are we going to have baseball again. I, I'm so sick of ta- saying that caveat, but as far as we're concerned, we love baseball. We co- You cover baseball professionally. I cover it in sort of a hobby t- side sort of thing. It's a distraction for all of us, and we all just want that back. We all just want the entertainment back. Well, and, and, and I'm and look, I mean, yeah, I write that a lot, you know, a caveat is that we recognize none of this matters, but I don't know. I mean, you know, life is not strictly the, the life and death stuff. I mean, it's, it's, it's particularly enjoyable because we have stuff like baseball that we like to follow. It's, you know, I don't really, you know, apologize for still writing about and thinking about what's going on with baseball. It's, it still matters. Um, it doesn't matter in the same way that, you know, a virus matters and that, that health concerns matter and all that stuff. But, you know, it's, I think it's still a worthwhile thing. You must be good at ignoring your Twitter mentions. Oh, I'm very good at that. <laughs> very. I mean, I, uh, listen. It is. I, I'm in. I'm like at least a 75 grade, 70 grade, 80, maybe even 80 grade Twitter mentions ignore. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well. <laughs> Well, it's not only been an interesting couple of weeks for the baseball world, but it's been quite the offseason for the Red Sox. So I will start with the cheating scandal involvement because that came first <laughs> as far as like right. the, the, chronolo- the chronological order of things. So what is the la- – we're still waiting on a suspension for the Red Sox. Obviously, the fallout from Alex Cora being let go by the Red Sox. So what was it like – the first week of spring training where there was no more Alex Cora, who is beloved in Boston. He won them a world. He led them to a world series. You've got Ron Renneke, who I believe wasn't even named manager until after the official start of spring training. Right. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. The second day. Well, I guess it was technically the day. I think they named him manager the day that, pitchers and catchers took their physicals. So like the day before the first official workout, but it's kind of like, you know, once everybody was people down there, they were going through workouts and everything. And then now we're, you know, Ron's officially sort of running the show. As interim manager, not even, is he still have the title yeah. of interim? Man- yeah. So it's, what was that first week like with all that stuff going on? It, it was definitely weird. I mean, you could feel it, you know, in the clubhouse around the team. It's, I mean, just so much has happened, you know, I mean, um, you, you know, it, it is, it's a shakeup, you know, it goes back. You really, you start with even before the, the investigation stuff, but you know, you go back to the end of last season when they fired Dave Dombrowski and, and hired Heim Bloom. So it's kind of like all this stuff is new. And, and the, the Cora thing was weird because like when, so, so when the report on the Astros came out and then literally as soon as Jim Crane fired AJ Hinch, I started writing, Alex Cora fired story because it just was inevitable. <laughs> yeah, you I mean, knew. I, so, because... I mean, I was writing it then, and I think it was the next day that they announced it. And so we had a story ready to go because you just knew, like, there, there was not really a way around this. He was, he, he, you couldn't see a path forward for him to manage the team going forward. But it was strange because I, they, they really liked 
Alex here. And, and so I don't, there was no sense of like, I didn't feel like there was a sense of like anger at him. It was just kind of this thing happened and we kind of have to respond to it the way we did. So the, the, the losing of Alex felt more like, I think kind of felt like a real blow to them, you know, that uh, it was just a disappointment. I think that not that they would have, not that I think they excused what happened in Houston, but my feeling is that I, I would bet that most of the guys, and I brought this up with a lot of people in baseball that, and seems to seems to be an agreement that the, the guys who were involved with the Houston thing, my guess is they all look at it now and go like, wow, that, that really got out of hand. You know what I mean? I, I, I think that in stepping back from it now, when they see it the way we're all seeing it, when you just get presented boom, here's what it was. And you're like, what the hell? Like, you were doing that? And I would guess that they can, can see the same thing. What I'm curious about with the investigation on the Red Sox is I don't – what the Red Sox are accused of doing, uh, to me, the longer the investigation goes on, the, the more likely it is that the league is finding that it was pretty widespread to, to have some version of – video rooms being used to steal signs and oh i, and think, I think that's saying I think that's that as, definite as a red sox writer maybe seems like they're making an excuse for them or anything but but i just don't think that's the, i mean you look around the league man it, it, look at how often people were using different signs with no one on base i mean it, this, this was not an isolated thing i think the astros took it too far and so what i'm curious to see is it, there seems a universal agreement around the league that the Astros overdid it. They crossed the line. It's to me, the Red Sox report is going to be interesting to see what does the league make of, of something that was clearly illegal, but that maybe was far more widespread and common. You know, do you come down hard on that team or, or and maybe they will. I mean, certainly that's what they're accused of doing anyway, broke rules. But if you do, I think you've got to be ready to, punish other teams as reports come out on them. You know what I mean? Like you, you, you risk it coming out in drips and drabs, you know, over the next year or two. Um, and that's baseball's so that, worst I, I'm nightmare. To oh, I think so. And, and that's, and this is also to me when you hear have, when, you, when these guys, when it all came out about the Astros, so many players who were, you know, firing mad, just, you know, I mean, you've read all the quotes and heard the sound bites. I mean, guys were pissed. Yeah, but not one of them was surprised. You know, they right. they all this was all like we've heard about this. I mean, you hear the A's say that they told the league in in eighteen what they knew, and the league did nothing. Yeah, Lucroy's comments were the very league, telling. Oh man, if you if the longer you let this thing go on, the more it became like pine tar on a pitcher's fingers. You know, yes, illegal, but something that the league is just going to let happen, and that everybody's kind of on board with. You know what I mean? Just don't overdo it. And and it's going to and it's allowed to continue. So to me, I think that's that's also one of the things that I think the league has to deal with is you kind of let this go on. You know, everyone was knew something was happening, and if you weren't stopping it, then it was allowed to continue and allowed to build, and then it gets out of hand to the point that you got you know what was happening with the Astros. Um, so I, that's that's what I'm most curious about when the report comes out is how hard do they come down on a team that was doing something that was, or at least accused of doing something, accused of doing something that was illegal, but also widespread. Right. Um, I think that's a tricky thing to punish. 
I agree with you. I think there was, most teams were probably fudging the rules a bit, using the replay room in ways they shouldn't have. The Yankees' name came up multiple times in all of the different yeah. athletic articles. I equated it to steroids in the mid-90s where guys were doing something wrong. They were using HGH, and then it got out of hand, and, and Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa each broke the home run record. <laughs> so that's right. what the Astros did with the trash cans and everything that they were did. They broke the home run record. So you had to really... You had to notice it. You had no choice but to notice it. Right. Yeah, it just became too, you know, too over the top at this point. So I have seen, because they only named Renicky interim manager, and like you said, they loved Alex Cora in Boston. I've heard some rumors that they're just waiting for the, the punishment to come down. The Red Sox ownership is going to sort of bide their time and then rehire Alex Cora at some point in the future. Do you have any information or any opinion on that? I, I mean, I don't think that that is the plan right now um, because I don't, part of it is, I think they can feel fairly certain that Renicky will not be punished, right? Like, I mean, you even saw that with, uh, with the Astros when the league's punishment was strictly the two guys that they deemed to be in charge. It was they, who they punished was, were the manager and the, um, and the general manager, the league. So if that's the case, even if they find something about the Red Sox, I, I, I think they can f- feel fairly certain that Renicky will not face an immediate suspension. Um, but I don't think they can feel the same way about Alex. You know, I mean, the, the way that the league went out of its way in the report on the Astros, the league went out of its way to make clear that Cora was a massive part of that. So if, if in a report you say, Hinch and Lunau, we don't believe were sort of the, the orchestrators of this scheme, but they're each suspended for a year, what are you going to do to the guy who you have written did orchestrate the scheme and then also was the manager of a team that you're now potentially going to also punish. I don't, I don't know what kind of punishment Cora is facing here, but, um, but I certainly wouldn't be surprised if it's more significant than, than the year-long suspension that, that Hinch and Lunau got. And, uh, and if that's the case, I just don't see how the Red Sox could bring him back anytime in the near future. Yeah, well, I think that, it's going to be hard for Lunau to get back into a GM position, but I could see AJ mm-hmm. Hinch being working his way back up oh, to, yeah. to being a manager of a baseball team. And the same sure. goes for Cora, especially because mm-hmm. players really took to Cora. They loved Alex Cora. And yeah, that's going to I, go no, a long way. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I don't think that, I mean, as long as he doesn't get something, it's not like a lifetime ban or something, which I wouldn't necessarily expect. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if Cora is managing a major league team at some point again. I'm just saying I don't think that in the in the immediate future, with everything that's going to come out with this and, and whatever else, I don't think the Red Sox can position themselves to say like where their their plan is to just have Renke hold down the fort for a few months and then bring back Alex. I, I just don't think that's where the Red Sox are heading. I think that I could see, I'm with you, that I could still see Cora at some point being a manager again, especially especially if this report is kind of a league-wide reckoning of, okay, the whole league was kind of letting this thing go a little too far with using video rooms, then I think we would look at it differently. But I don't think that's 
sort of part of the uh, the immediate plan for the Red Sox to to just sort of in the short term hold down the fort and then bring Alex back as quickly as possible. And you also mentioned Dombrowski being fired. The Red Sox really underachieved in 2019 after having pretty much a perfect 2018 season. Heim Bloom is was brought in, so he's chief baseball officer. That's mm-hmm. but he's yep. G, it's GM, right? <laughs> Well, they ha- and they have a GM. Okay. Um, they had- Brian O'Halloran was promoted to general manager, but it's yeah, it's weird. I, I I mean, it's just all this like you know this this is you've seen this all around. I mean, that was Dombrowski's title was not general manager. Dombrowski was the president of baseball operations, um, but he was functionally the general manager. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, it's a strange thing. Uh, you know, it's it's it, it's it's funny too that sometimes the Red Sox will do conference calls where they'll have. Chief, Chief Baseball Officer Heim Bloom and General Manager Brian O'Halloran on the same call. And you can tell all of us are like, I, <laughs> I mean, I like Brian a lot, but like, I don't know, like, what would I, I He's clearly the number two guy here. Like, he has the GM title, but it's, it's, every question goes to Heim. Cause yeah. He's it's, the guy at the head of baseball ops. It's like Dwight Schrute in the office. He's the assistant to the general manager. Correct. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, Sort of just a yeah, just another guy, but with a different title. So, but Dombrowski's fired, and he's fired for basically doing exactly what he was hired to do, which is yeah, sign a right. lot of good, sign a lot of talented players, win a World Series, and empty your farm system. That's what Dave Dombrowski does, and that's exactly right. what he did. And then they fired yeah. him for it. It was it's yeah. very bizarre, and, and and did it really well. I mean, he he did exactly what they wanted to do. They he gave them a World Series championship i do wonder if they the the team owner uh, john henry and, and their chairman tom warner both said when they fired dave they mentioned that the previous offseason so after 18 heading into 19 that they said they already knew that a goal would be to to get below the luxury tax threshold in 2020 and so i i do wonder a little bit if and that they and they said too that they disagreed at the time with some of the moves that Dombrowski made in the winter after the World Series when he brought back Evaldi when he you know gave a couple of extensions to Sale and, and Bogarts that they disagreed with so they they didn't get the specifics about which ones they disagreed with but they said they they had some disagreements on exactly which moves to make and they trusted him. I do wonder if they, they're you know they kind of gave Dombrowski the benefit of the doubt but told him look here's kind of where we want to go you think that's the way to do it we'll we'll trust you but we want to get to here and we're letting you set the path and if at that point that's when it became like okay you know we kind of gave you a chance to do this your way to get us where we want to be financially and if he couldn't do that then then they moved on um but i but yeah but i mean ultimately you're right i mean they frankly before dombrowski they had ben charrington who run things with sort of a very similar mindset to the way Hein Bloom does. Um, so, you know, they went from a guy who did it that way to sort of build from within. They fired him. They brought in a guy who builds from the outside. They won that way. Then they fired him and they brought in a guy to build from the inside again. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's just a pattern that they're in right now. Right. And the whole getting under the luxury tax, which I don't necessarily disagree with because the Yankees mm-hmm. even did it. And if the Yankees oh, yeah, are no, going to... If the Yankees are going to do it, has done that. right? If the Yankees are going to do it, then any team, in my in my opinion, should should do oh, this com- completely. I think it's it, it, there is a there is a, a lot of backlash toward the Red Sox about that they're going that they're 
getting cheap and that they're, you know, they're not willing to spend and it's all about money. I mean, this is every franchise that has gone over the luxury tax has gotten below it. It, It's the way the rules are drawn up. It's the only, it's the most logical way to do it. Stay above the luxury tax for two or three years and then get below it. It, it, It is, it is right there in the CBA. It is designed for teams to do this. I, I don't think that anyone can be surprised that this is happening. It's, it's the most logical way to go about it. But here's where I can see why fans are pissed off because it directly led to trading Mookie bets. And yeah. Oh no. Yes. Yeah. Oh, totally. No, I, I understand the, the, the idea of being frustrated by it and, and angry about it makes sense. I, I continue to contend the Red Sox should have made the bets trade. They should have traded Mookie bets for Jeter Downs and Alex Verdugo with a handshake agreement that in a week we're going to trade you David Price for Connor Wong. Just don't make it so obvious <laughs> that Mookie Betts was the salary dump. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but everyone will like see a, through like that a, plan. Yeah, you'd think so. I, it's probably, but I just thought that that made it, I just thought that made it look worse when the optics of it, when, when Mookie Betts was used partially to dump David Price's contracts that just that that just I think made it more frustrating you know some of it was not I don't think it was purely about the luxury tax I mean it was also about the recognition that that Mookie Betts was hell-bent on becoming a free agent yeah that was going to be my next question to you if if you think the Red Sox could re-sign him could have re-signed him I did think that but have since had conversations that make me think no I don't think that's the plan um, I, I, is that a team decision or a player decision where Mookie did not want to be in Boston? No, I, I think it's a team decision. I don't believe, I, honestly, I don't think Mookie, I don't think Mookie cares that much. He just I, wants to get you know, paid. I think he, I think so. And you know, look, yeah. he's a, he's a Nashville guy. Like his house, he's building a house in Nashville. He's that's his family is in Nashville. He loves He's not planning to, he's not setting roots somewhere, right? Like he's got a, 15 year window to be a baseball player and to make money and try to be successful. And I think when he's there, I think he does it all the right way. I think he wants to win. I think he he does all of those things. But the reality for him is in 10 years or so, he's going to move back to Nashville and that's where his life's going to be. And so what does it matter to him if he spends, you know, seven of those years in Boston and one of them in LA and, five in Chicago or whatever. Like it's all, this this is all just a window when he's working. Um, And so I just, I I just think it's a, he looks at it in a very practical way. Um, I don't, I never got the sense that he didn't, that he disliked playing in Boston. I I don't think that's the case. Um, I just think it's the reality of the way, um, you know, the contracts are in baseball and, for some guys, like if you're Xander Bogarts, who's more of kind of probably maybe more of a homebody guy whose who's home is so far away, you know, it, maybe he, he wanted the idea of the security and the stability. And so he signs the extension and stays here, and that's just his personality. I think that Mookie just takes a different approach to it, where the stability and stuff is not that valuable to him. He would rather just maximize on the other end and, and – take a shot on the open market. You know, it, it, either one is a perfectly logical way to go about it. It's just a matter of, of what your priority is. And I think if your priority is to eventually settle into Nashville, Tennessee and raise a family there, then 
it makes more sense to, to, in the meantime, maximize your earning potential while you have it. Yeah, I never blame a player for trying to get the most money. That's what they're there to do. And just like owners right. are trying to sign players for the least amount of money. It's a business. Yeah. It, no, I don't, I don't blame them for doing either one. Like, I think both things make sense depending on what you want to do. You know, I mean, you know, Xander didn't chose not to hit the open market and, and sign an extension into it. That's also perfectly, that makes sense. Like, it's not, I just don't think it's, uh, these guys are all making personal decisions. And, and so, it's, I don't think it's anything, you know, against Boston or if a, you know a play if Aaron Judge ends up becoming a free agent. I don't think that will be because he hates New York. It's just these guys are making choices for their lives, and this is the way it works. Oh, it's going to be a sad day when they have to tear out the judges' chambers if he if he leaves in free agency. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That will that would be weird. So, what percentage of Red Sox fans do you think were upset to see David Price traded? Uh, boy, that's it's so hard to say. I I would just to see him traded probably low. Yeah. But but it also came with this like reality of now your rotation is what it is. So I think there was some practical side of it too. You know, like even if if fans were were not that sad to see him go, I think just the logical side of it is you could now you looked at your rotation and went, well, now what? Brian Weber's our fifth starter. You know, it was like, so I think there was a practical side to losing him where, where I think fans went like, all right, first off, you're mad that this, you're just, there's just generally discontent because the Red Sox just traded Mookie Betts. But also from a very practical side, you've also traded David Price and you didn't replace him in the rotation. So now we're screwed there. And, and so I think there was frustration with that. So it might not have been necessarily a disappointment to trade David Price, but just, logically you needed another starter and that was David Price and now he's gone what do you think of the return they ended up getting so Verdugo Jeter Downs and Connor Wong but then the whole it was there was this whole restructuring of it because the original trade had the the guy from Minnesota Getterall Mm -hmm. and he had medical issues so it it just seemed like a big cluster the entire thing oh yeah yeah I think I mean I think if you look at you know you look at what the Cardinals got when they tried to trade Goldschmidt or what the, I'm sorry, what the Diamondbacks got when they traded Goldschmidt. I mean, it, to me, it falls basically in line with what teams are getting for a one-year rental. Um, I don't think it was, I mean, I think those things are hard to say. You, you kind of have to go by what, what's the market going to allow. You know, I think that the initial thought when, because for like two years, people here debated whether the Red Sox should trade Mookie Betts before he becomes a free agent. But so much of that was like, let's trade him and get Eloy Jimenez. It's like, well, that's ne- no, that's, that's never going to happen. Like, right. that's not, I get where you're. Th- I get why that's the thought. Is we have maybe this, you know, arguably the second best all-around player in baseball. You should be able to trade him to get like one of the elite, elite young players. But teams just don't work that way anymore. That's yeah, just that, not the way they're going about it. So think about it so, from yeah, the White Sox perspective. Why would they do totally. that? Totally. <laughs> why in the world would you do that? Yeah. So I. Now, the Yankees maybe ruined it for everybody by getting Glaber Torres for like two months of a role as Chapman. Special but. circumstances. The, the Cubs. The Cubs. Yeah. You're, totally we're agree. never going to see totally that again, agree. where a team is so yep. desperate to win. So I, I agree. Listen, I agree. every it's Yankees the one fan that everyone points to. They go. They go. Well, if the Yankees could get Glaber, I'm like, okay, show me a show team me a that second. break a hundred year curse and is desperate enough to do it. Like it's a different. It's a totally different scenario. The and stars honestly, aligned for the Yankees rebuild. I, 
it's part of why I thought the Red Sox should uh, should hold off and, and trade Mookie at the trade deadline. Wait until I thought they might, and maybe I'm totally wrong. I could be completely reading the market wrong, and you're taking a risk on maybe Mookie gets hurt or has a bad year or whatever. But my thought was wait till the trade deadline and get find that team that is like now can really smell a championship and needs that one huge piece to put them over the top. You know, maybe the value is even higher then. Yeah, was, I look at the Manny Machado trade less though. of him. Right. Yeah. Because that's yeah. a similar instance. Manny Machado was was not yeah. as good as Mookie Betts, but one of the best players in baseball, especially leading up to his last days in Baltimore. And the the Orioles didn't really get that much from the Dodgers. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. It's a, I mean, totally fair point. I would say the Red um, Sox got a better package than the yeah. than the Orioles got from the Dodgers. Yeah, yeah. I also want. Well, anyway, I mean, you're because you're always looking for like what's the What's the market there, right? Like you got it's all about need, and and you know you needed everything to line up right. Um, Which, like I just said, the Yankees know. stars align for the Glaber Torres it's trade. Totally, yep. And yeah, it, maybe it would work yeah. have worked out that way for the Red Sox, but chances are it wouldn't have. Right, and so I think too that that's and that's part of where you know those of us that are sort of outside observers on it, it's hard to say. You know what, like. I mean, you know, the question was like, what do you think of the return? And and the reality is like, I just think it's almost impossible for us to know because, you know, even having been like a little bit of, you know, talking to people when they were negotiating back and forth with the Dodgers and the Padres and having some sense of players that were on the table, it's hard to say like what, you know, I mean, could they have done significantly better than this if they've waited? Could they, was there some team out there willing to give up? a much bigger package. I mean, the fact that they waited until the very end of the off season tells you that they, they tried basically every Avenue to see what the best deal out there was. And this is what they could get. Um, it seems like a good, I mean, it's a, not a bad group. I mean, you know, Verdugo certainly could be an everyday right fielder. Um, Jeter Downs almost universally people think is a, is a starting middle infielder. Um, Connor Wong is a catcher. And that's something that the Red Sox had absolutely nothing at catcher. And they, clear a bunch of salary. I mean, there's considerable upside there, but I don't know how you put a value on one year of Mookie Betts, you know, like, is that worth losing that year and also just signaling to your fan base where that this is the direction we're going? Um, I don't know. It's the kind of trade where even the guys in the organization who can kind of justify it and talk about it and can say like, well, here's why we did it. Here's what we saw. And here's why we like these guys and here's our reality. And, of the financials of it and all that, you know, they can, they can explain the whole logic behind it and they might even agree with the logic behind it. And none of them is happy about it. You know what I mean? It's just, it's not a trade that you make and then feel good about afterward, even if you think it was the right thing to do. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. All right, let's move to 2020. So I don't want to call this breaking news because we all knew the news was coming. Chris sale needs Tommy John surgery. They decided right. yesterday. It's a good thing we actually had to delay because had we recorded I was actually just thinking that. Yeah. Thursday morning, yeah, we, we almost did this yesterday. Yeah, yeah has we, had we recorded Thursday morning, we wouldn't have had the sale news. But that, so I was thinking the delay in the season was going to help the Red Sox because they Chris Sale was already going to have injury issues. the The team sort of is is recovering from the Mookie Betts trade. Uh, thing we all just talked about Verdugo was going to start the season injured so I thought a delay in the season was going to help the Red Sox but I don't know maybe yeah. that's out the window now with Sale officially out yes 
I mean, well, I mean, it, it can st- it still helps them with Cordugo, I guess, a little bit. Um, but without Sale, I, I don't know how much of a contender they can really be. Oh yeah, no, I no, I totally agree. Yeah, no, I mean, they they was this was also part of the reasoning behind that. I, one person told me part of the reasoning behind going ahead and trading Mookie right now is take Mookie Betts out of the lineup, replace him with Alex Verdugo. That's still probably a good enough lineup to contend, right? I mean, you know, yeah. you still have Martinez, Severs, Betts, Martinez, I mean, Bogart, um, uh, Benintendi. Yeah. I mean, it's and, and and a couple of you know decent bats in AAA who maybe could come up and help. It's just it's still a a legitimate, perfectly legitimate contending lineup. But this team was always going to be a crapshoot of of starting pitching. It was, you know, can can Nathan Valdi stay healthy? Um, can Eduardo Rodriguez repeat last season? And is Chris Sale going to avoid Tommy John? Those those risks were going to be there whether Mookie Betts was here or not. And and if Mookie couldn't help in that factor, then maybe this was a year to go ahead and trade him because you're rolling the dice anyway. You know, I mean, if if Sale had stayed healthy and pitched the way Chris Sale can be, then you know, okay, Sale is your number one. Maybe if Valdi stays healthy, that's a pretty good two-three in the rotation. You could see where maybe it could work. Mm-hmm. Um, but but no, without Sale, I think that now you really need a lot of things to come together. And, and I think that realistically, the the Red Sox know that they're they're rolling a dice here that probably won't work. Um, and you know maybe that's not that bad of a thing, right? I mean that that, that happens sometimes. That's the way it goes. Um, every team seems to like kind of go through ebbs and flows, but. But no, I don't think that it's possible now to look at the season and think, oh, the Red Sox are in a good position. You know, I mean, this is twice now that Heim Bloom's had a, they had one press conference about the Mookie trade and then a conference call yesterday about Chris Sale. And both times he was having to admit something just happened that made us worse. Um, you know, it was not something he could spin as, well, it's just an opportunity for somebody to step up. <laughs> like, you know, he can say that sort of stuff. But, but both times he just flat out admitted yes we are worse today than we were yesterday but you know what and, that's uh, the, that's the right course of action to take because everyone oh, everyone sure. knows oh, you're yeah, just right. full of shit if you say the other thing completely yeah there, there was not there was no good way to to try to he, if, you know we always say that like that people will say like well there's no way to sugarcoat this but you know it's a great opportunity <laughs> for our young guys yeah. <laughs> like, well you're trying to sugarcoat it but it's just it's just not working. Just please don't. Um, so no, they don't know. They're clearly, they're clearly in a worse position. Um, I, I can't, to me, the only way then for this to work is if, you know, Evaldi finally is that top of the rotation guy that it seems like he's had the potential to be his whole career, but never has been. If Eduardo is another guy that again can give you 200 innings and win 20 games. And if one of the pitching guys who's, didn't even make one of the pitching prospects who didn't make the opening day roster somehow emerges as a a legitimate standout number three type starter. Although I mean, it's just it's just hard to see how it can possibly all play out, and you hit you know the best case scenario on every single thing um, to make this into a, a particularly strong season. Yeah, you mentioned Eduardo Rodriguez. His he had a career year last year, and so did Rafael Devers. So is the plan? Do you think the plan now is okay? Twenty twenty is going to be weird and already a loss just from the sale injury. Let's regroup for twenty twenty one. Try and get some more prospects in the system because I, I believe I saw Jason Stark ranked the 
Red Sox system, bottom five in baseball. So not only is the major league team injured, but the, the system doesn't have a ton to replenish it. Yeah, yeah, I think the system's gotten better. I think Baseball America had them somewhere like 20th or something like that. Okay. Um, it's, but yeah, it's not, I mean, no, it's not, it's, it's not a standout system. It's much deeper than it was a year or two ago, but because um, they, they had a really good uh, 2018 draft, at least the early returns on it have been really good, so that helped them. But, but no, it's not, a, it, it's not a, you know, Padres farm system or anything. Certainly not at that. But I do, I do think ultimately that's where you end up. Um, you know, Jackie Bradley Jr. is in his last year before free agency. You could see him having some considerable value at the trade deadline. Brandon Workman's in his last year before free agency. If he comes in and has another year in the ninth inning like he had last season, you could see him having considerable value. Um, you know, Matt Barnes. I think there are guys they could trade. Even, even a guy like Benintendi or Verdugo, I mean, those two are kind of redundant right now, right? I mean, they're Yeah, they seem like really similar, similar players. They're yeah. very similar offensive profiles. They, uh, and so, you know, if you wanted to and, you know, try to swap out one of those guys to fill a different need elsewhere, I think that's a totally viable, you know, idea of a way to go. So, yeah, I, I think that I could see them continuing to make moves late in, the, late in the year and try to just regroup and rebuild for 2021. You know, I think that you have Devers and Bogarts as your, you know, the new core that you build around. Um, that that would be my expectation, and maybe Eduardo, if they can get him signed to an extension or something at some point here. Um, but, but I but I do think that at some point we're going to see more moves, um, with the hope being that they can pull off, frankly, what Cashman did several years ago with the Beltran and uh, Andrew Miller, and uh, that's the year he traded Chapman, right? And, yeah. You know when he, he had 20, that big fire sale in twenty sixteen, he, he he nailed it. You know, I mean, that was like kind of how many times had Brian Cashman been able to just really sell off assets at the deadline? And when he did, he, he got it right. And, and that let them to, you know, pretty quickly turn around and become a, an elite team again. No, oh, um, yeah. The Yankees rebuilt the took two months. The Red Sox. Yeah. <laughs> no, right. like we, I, I say it jokingly, but it legitimately took two months. Right. So, yes, I think I, to me, it's one of like the Cashman's finest hours. It was when you, to me, I, I felt like it was when, Cashman went from the guy who just spends George Steinbrenner's money to a guy who really showed like he could he could build a team in his own in his own way in his own terms, and uh, I think that's made him you know he 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 was really successful with that, and uh, and I think that's going to be the challenge for this team now. How do you do a pretty drastic rebuild where all you've lost is you know basically one year or even arguably just kind of a half year? You know you were contenders for a while and then. You know, you give up at the end of the season, and, and you're right back in it. So last question before we uh, we go. It's sort of something I've been talking to a lot of different people about as we've been doing our AL East previews. It's going to be a weird season. Maybe a half a season is what we're looking at, late June or July. Would you like to see baseball try anything different with the schedule or the playoff format? Just because use this as an opportunity to test some things? Oh, interesting. I hadn't really thought about that. I... Uh... I mean, maybe, I, I, I guess it depends on just how much of a season do they have left. You know, if this thing turns into like, you've got two months to play, then sure. I could see, you know, play two months and like half the league gets in to the playoffs and let's see what that looks like. Um, I think something like that could be interesting, but I also don't know 
you know, there's so much of this that's so uncertain and we just have no idea what's coming next. But yeah. to me, it is pretty hard to think ahead and figure out what's coming. Yeah. Yeah. It, it'll be, it'll be interesting. I, I'm expecting between 80 and a hundred games as like best case scenario at this point, because even when things get the all clear for big gathering, big social gatherings, again, players are going to have to go back to spring training and get their workouts back in. Yeah, that was, it was interesting. Yesterday on the Chris Sale conference call, we were asking how are the Red Sox preparing their pitchers? And they said what they've done is they've told all of their starters to basically stay on an every fifth day schedule throwing two innings at a time. So get mm-hmm. up, throw like 20 pitches, sit, and throw another 15 or so. And they want their guys to just stay right there. Stay stretched out for two innings because their belief is then if they get a three-week buildup, into the regular season, if all their starters are already at two innings, three weeks gives them enough time to get them where they could start the season reasonably stretched out. That's interesting. Um, so, so they're kind of preparing for a three-week spring training buildup, and if they get a fourth week, that's a bonus. What did the um, most of the Red Sox players do? Did they end up going back home? Yeah, most of them now have gone home. I think they told us that there were either like seven or eight guys were at the complex yesterday. Um, but I think it seems like that's what the the Yankees deal. Like they initially all voted to stay, right? And then everybody went home. Yeah, I think they voted to stay, and then that was when a lot of people thought maybe it would only be two to four week delay, and then everyone right. realized it's going to be months. And what realistically, right. what are you going to do? How how long are you going to stay in Tampa and work out for? Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, and and also, you know, I mean, these guys, especially the guys who have families and stuff. I mean, they don't want to. You know, how long can you stay away from all that, you know, or keep your family, you know, staying in a, you know, a condo in Tampa? Right. Um, you know, it's it's hard. So I think it was the right thing. I mean, I think it was inevitable once we, I mean, now we look at it all and go like, well, this was inevitable. Like, obviously everything was going to have to shut down and everybody was going to have to go home. But I mean, I was still in Florida as of eight days ago. You know, things it was, changed and, so quickly. Yeah. It's amazing so, how things oh, so change so early. fast. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, you know, we've, you know, now I've been back home for about a week and I haven't really left the house except for one day walking around, you know, going outside some of my kids. But yeah, it has, it has really, it has changed in such a drastic and significant way. And, and yeah, I think now we're all settling into the idea that this is what it's going to be for a while. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really bizarre. And, and like we said at the top, you know, more seri- people are dealing with more serious issues, but hopefully people can read you in The Athletic, listen to, you know, this podcast or, or whatever it is and just get a little bit of enjoyment uh, talking about baseball. Definitely appreciate it, Chad. You guys can follow him yep. on Twitter at Chad Jennings 22 You're probably already following him because he used to cover the Yankees. Chad, I appreciate <laughs> the time. Yeah, my, my pleasure. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it, and go Yankees. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. 
But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.